First, a gentle warning. This podcast can be a hard listen at times and includes themes of violence, mental distress and racism. It's something you might need to consider before listening. Early on Sunday, 3rd of May 2015, Police Scotland's control room starts to receive calls. Hello, there's a man with a knife, a black man on Hayfield Road in Kirkcaldy. Police arrive at the scene and within minutes, Sheku Bayo is down on the ground. After being restrained by up to six officers, he stops breathing. Many details of what happened that morning are in dispute. His devastated family are still searching for answers. They want to know what role race played in Sheku's death. They claim he is Scotland's George Floyd. Sheku died here in Scotland and I am fighting, we as a family are fighting for changes to happen in Scotland. No family should suffer the way that we are suffering. Please refute this. Now a public inquiry, launched in May last year, is trying to find out what really happened. Its purpose is to seek to ascertain the truth. And to that purpose, I am fully committed. Welcome to Sheku Bio, The Inquiry, a podcast series from The Ferret. Down on the ground. I'm Karen Goodwin, co-editor and journalist for The Ferret. And I'm Tamiwa Fullerin-Shaw, a freelance writer, editor and presenter. This is a podcast about a public inquiry, which could have serious ramifications for the entire Scottish justice system. It's about the death of Sheku Bayou from Kirkcaldy and Fife, one of the highest profile deaths in Scottish police custody to date. For almost eight years and counting, his family has fought for justice. Police have always maintained they did nothing wrong. No one has ever been to court in connection with his death, and until recently, no evidence had been led in public. In November 2021, the Scottish Government announced an independent public inquiry. It was not only to look at the circumstances of Sheku's death, but also the aftermath, and crucially, the role that race may have played. The first hearing was held in two parts and finished in December 2022. Now, with the second hearing due to start on Tuesday 31st of January 2023, we are bringing you the first episode in a three-part podcast summarising the evidence so far. Our aim is to tell you what you need to know about this important case. So let's start with some basics. How exactly does an inquiry work? This is not a court hearing. It won't lead to prosecutions, and the questioning style isn't adversarial like it would be in a court. But it will report back to Scottish ministers with a set of recommendations, which should then be implemented. The inquiry team asked the Crown Office to rule out that the 12 named officers giving evidence could face criminal proceedings, but they refused to do that. This inquiry is really significant. It is expected to run well into 2024, and it'll be split up into six hearings, with witnesses called to give evidence on oath to the chair, retired judge Lord Brackadale, who's assisted by two assessors. Our podcast aims to follow all the hearings in the coming months. Experts agree that its findings will have deep implications for Scottish society. 
Sheku's family have described him as Scotland's George Floyd, the black man killed in Minneapolis by an officer who knelt in his neck for nine minutes. His death sparked widespread protests in the US and ignited global interest in the Black Lives Matter movement. As we've already said, please completely reject this comparison. Meanwhile, Amar Anwar, the family solicitor, has said this inquiry will be as significant to Scotland as the inquiry following the death of Stephen Lawrence, the black teenager killed in a racially motivated attack in London in 1993. The role of race is so central to Sheikha's death because of the context it sits in. Research by UK charity Inquest shows black or Asian people are twice as likely to die after force or restraint by the police than people who are white. Campaigners say this raises serious questions about the role of institutional racism in their deaths. But this is a story about the personal as well as the structural. This public inquiry is wrapped up in the grief of a young man's family. His two sons are now growing up without their dad. PC Ellen Payton and PC Nicole Short, two of the officers there in the day, have both now retired from the police and been diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. It's had an impact on officers too. In the first hearing alone, there were hundreds of hours of evidence and thousands of pages of witness statements. You can find them all on the inquiry's website, but it's a lot to take in. So we've absorbed it all on your behalf. As the inquiry is ongoing, we'll let the evidence speak for itself. But let's start with the person at the heart of this inquiry. Who was Sheku Bayo? Late last year, I spoke to his sister, Caddie Johnson, about her baby brother and why this inquiry matters so much to her and the rest of the family. We have three girls and he's the last one. So he's our baby brother. Um, he's such a fun, loving guy. He's where, wherever he is, he brightens up the place. You know, he makes friends easily. He's he's just fun to be around. You know, there's never a dull moment with Chaco around. You know, and um, he's blessed with two boys, and his boys are his world. You know, whenever he's around them, nothing else matters except his two sons. So when he died, for me to hear all these um, horrible things they were saying about my brother was very hurtful because that's not the brother we know. That's not how we were brought up. So, and that's not who Sheku was. So for them to characterize his, him like that wasn't good enough at all. That made us very angry as a family. It's striking how loved Sheku was by the Bayou family and how missed. We saw that so clearly in a film commissioned by the family and shown on the first day of the inquiry back in May 2022. We heard then, not only from his sisters, but his mother, back in Sierra Leone, where Sheku was brought up before moving to London as a teen. The film also features interviews from his wider family, including nieces and a brother-in-law and friends. This inquiry is having a big impact on them. Family members have been there for every single day in the last hearing, sitting through hours of harrowing evidence. They've suffered racist abuse and had to stop work to attend. At times, they have felt very alone. I asked them about the impact of that too. It's been a long journey and a tough one as well. Very emotional. Um, Coming here... For these two parts, it hasn't been easy, especially the first part when we sat very close to the police officers who were 
presence on the very day that he died. So that was very, very tough for me as a, me as his sister, my mother, and the rest of the family. It was very, very tough. So um, and obviously, still hard. It's taken a big toll on us as a family at the moment. We all want to see the end of this. So with the support of the public and and family members, you know, that's driving us to push for justice. They are living this every day. But though there's been so much press scrutiny of this case over the years, some people will have missed the details surrounding Sheku's death. That was the focus of the first hearing. So let's start there with exactly what happened in the lead up to his death. Okay then, let's go back to Saturday, the 2nd of May, 2015, the night before Sheikha's death. From the evidence heard so far, we know that night was his niece's seventh birthday party. Sheikha is in a good mood, serving up food for his family and other guests, laughing and joking. And he's invited along one of his oldest friends, Zahid Saeed. In the early hours of that morning, there was going to be a big boxing match. Floyd Mayweather Jr. versus Manny Pacquiao in Las Vegas. It was billed as the fight of the century. Sheku and Zaid planned to go to their friend Martin's house to watch it after he finished work, about 3am. A thing you should know about Sheku and Zaid. They weren't just friends, they were more like brothers. Not only had they bonded as teenagers at Fife, a group for young people from ethnic minority backgrounds in a very white part of Scotland, Sheku also supported Zahid through some pretty horrendous traumas, including the loss of his two-year-old son. You might remember the case because it was so desperately sad. His little boy, Mikhail, was killed by his mum back in January 2014. She was later found guilty of culpable homicide when she told police she didn't mean to kill him. Zahid struggled to give evidence to the inquiry, which he said was connected to his history of trauma. His session was cut short, but in a video commissioned by the family, he spoke very clearly about the bond he and Sheik had. So that night, the two of them leave the party before 10pm. They buy some booze and go back to Sheku's. His partner Colette and his baby son are at her mother's for the night. But she talks to Sheku on the phone before midnight and she later tells the police that he seems fine. They talk about their baby boy, normal parent stuff, and he tells her he's missing them. We also know from the statements given and from the post-mortem that they are recreational drugs consumed. Zaid says that Sheku, like more than one in ten people across the UK, has taken drugs before. He's careful with them, he says. But Zaid also reveals through his statement to the inquiry that there was an incident where Sheku had become paranoid a few months back, had started to think that people were talking about him and his race. His partner Colette also says in her statement to the Police Investigations and Review Commissioner, Perk, that recently the racism Sheku faced had been getting to him more. She told Perk that Sheku was conscious that some people disapproved of the mixed race relationship that Sheku and she had together. It bothered Sheku that people could be racist towards him. And he's not alone, of course. About a third of black and ethnic minority people in Scotland say they routinely experience racial discrimination. And Zahid's statement also reveals that Sheku might have had some kind of mental health episode right back at the beginning of 2015. At that time, Zahid said he thought he might have been hallucinating, claiming his mind was back and forth. He talked him down and all was well. So that's the background. Let's go back to the Saturday night when all is still well between the friends. 
They head to Martins to watch the fight in the early hours of Sunday morning. But now Sheku's mood begins to change. He's acting oddly, thinks his friends are mocking him. He leaves abruptly. And now it's about 6am, as Ahid returns to Sheku's house, where his friend seems confused and disorientated. He accuses Ahid of being CID. His partner Colette says in her statement to Park that Sheku, who was regularly stopped as a young black man living in London, doesn't trust the police. Neither does Zahid. Later he will accuse police of murdering his friend. But outside the house that morning, Sheku runs at his friend, punching him, chasing him. Zahid is really concerned and frightened now, he says. He's never seen Sheku acting anything like this. Sheku's on top of him, punching him. And when he gets away, Zahid takes off and calls their friend Martin to pick him up and discuss what to do. The daughter of another neighbour has seen the disturbance from her window. This neighbour, Neil Morgan, knows and likes Sheku, tells the inquiry he's always smiling and friendly. So he goes out to find out what's happened and calls out to him. It's only then Neil realises Sheku's holding a kitchen knife. Let's hear what he told the inquiry. I said, uh, what are you doing with that? I said, look, you can't walk around with that. You're going to get done. I said, look, come back to the house. Something's upset you. Come back, have a cup of coffee, a cup of tea. Need to settle down. Just just come back. And he said, uh, no, I'm fine. I'm all right. I'm fine. Okay. How far away were you from him when you had this conversation? Oh, couple of feet, yeah, just right up close. He says Sheku wasn't himself. His eyes were starey and he was clearly intoxicated. His neighbour doesn't know this yet, but he's taken MDMA and, possibly unknowingly, Flaca, a kind of cheaper synthetic version of cocaine. Something is obviously very wrong. His neighbour is not frightened, but he's worried. Sheku walks on up the road. And it's now, about 7.10am, when police start receiving 999 calls. Sheku, has never before been in trouble with the police, is walking into the road, behaving erratically. People claim he's chasing their cars. On calls to the police, they describe him as a big black man, six foot tall with a nine inch blade. Good morning, Police Scotland. How can I help? Uh, good morning. I'm, uh, I've been just sitting along Pepper Hall Avenue in Kirkcaldy and I've just spotted a black man with what looks like a huge blade walking along Pepper Hall Avenue towards the hub garage. A large knife, nine inch blade? Yeah. Walking towards the hospital, is that correct? Yeah. What sort of build has he got? Big build. It's large build, okay. And how tall is he? Uh, probably six foot. Six foot. In actual fact, he's five foot ten and the knife is about five to six inches. We'll come back to why it's actually common for black men to be stereotyped as larger, stronger and more aggressive in the next episode. In total, police have calls from five members of the public. The corroboration convinces them that this is an incident to take seriously. In the control room, it's given grade one status and a message goes out on the airwaves to Kirkcaldy police. This next set of crucial events all happened so quickly it will take us longer to tell you about them than it actually took for them to happen. 
It takes just 75 seconds from the point of police arriving at the scene to Sheku being restrained on the ground. Let's start the timer. A call goes out from control and soon all units are advised to attend Hayfield Road. PC Ellen Payton and PC Craig Walker are the first to arrive in the police van at 7.20am. On the way there, there is something playing on their minds. Here's PC Walker speaking at the inquiry. At the time, the terror threat to the police uh, was severe and that an attack on the police was uh, highly likely. Um, and like I say, for his, my initial concern was the overt nature of what he was doing. Maybe he was looking for the police to get there. Um, so I just joined in the dots for possibilities as to what we might be dealing with. So right away, they are thinking about his potential as a terrorist attack. We'll hear that from lots of officers giving evidence. Three of them specifically reference Lee Rigby, the soldier murdered by two men with knives and a cleaver as he returned to his barracks in London in May 2013. His killers said then his death was to avenge Muslims killed by British soldiers. So this is what officers claim they considered as they arrive at Hayfield Road, but we'll come back to that. When they arrive, Sheku's walking towards the police van with his palms open, with no knife in sight. Later, some will claim he ran at police with a knife, but this is untrue. The officers, who are both six foot four and heavily built, one twenty-five stone, the other seventeen, draw their CS and Pava spray canisters and jump out of the van. On the radio, PC Stephen Stewart asks them to assess the situation and report back. At that stage, there would be decisions to be made about how best to proceed. But PC Payton tells the inquiry all he's thinking about is stopping Sheku, getting the situation under control. He draws his spray and shouts to Sheku to get down on the ground. But Sheku keeps walking. PC Payton uses his police-issue CS gas spray, but it blows back into the officer's face and he's overcome with its effects. PC Walker then tries to spray him. Again, it has no impact on Sheku, but does affect the officer. Struggling with the effects, PC Payton withdraws behind the van and he says fear comes over him. I thought I was going to die at that stage. Um, I had visions of uh, um, the Lee Rigby incident. Just blood everywhere. Um, I thought I was, I was curled up, waiting for something to come down in the back of my neck or something to get stabbed in my neck. Uh, I thought, I, th- I genuinely thought I was a goner. The next two officers, PC Ashley Tomlinson and PC Nicole Short, arrive 16 seconds later. PC Tomlinson has more to say about the options he could be faced with, remaining in the vehicle to monitor the situation, trying to contain things. He talks about trying to de-escalate things when he's out on duty. But that's not what happens here. PC Walker has his hands over his face and PC Tomlinson tells the inquiry he thinks his colleague has been slashed. He can't see PC Payton. As Sheku walks towards a nearby path, PC Tomlinson keeps pace parallel, shouting commands, as he says, so there'll be no doubt about what he's asking of Sheku. Do you want to demonstrate the level of shouting that you were adopting? Um, so obviously we're speaking just now, but if I was out on the street, it would be, Get back! Stay back! Stay where you are! Okay, to avoid you. any... Basically, dubiety of the, you know, I'm shouting something, I would have expected a response back from that. 
By this time, PC Short, who is five foot one, has her baton drawn. She shouts to warn Sheku that she will use it. She says he responds now, coming towards her with skipping steps like a boxer. So it was a mixture of that. So I immediately uh, was was shouting at this point, get back, get back, get back. I don't think I was retreating myself because he was closing the gap really, um, really quickly. Just instinct kicked in and I was running away from him before I, I knew it. I remember I felt his presence behind me, like I just knew he was he was right behind me. Uh, and I was running and uh, then I just remember feeling I've what I've always described it as this almighty blow to the back of my head, just at my ear. PC Walker says he hears her scream and she falls to the ground, putting her hands out to break her fall. What happens next is highly contested. Both PCs Tomlinson and Walker have given evidence under oath that Sheku now raises his foot and stamps on PC Short's back. Tomlinson says he does this twice. But PC Short does not remember this. She's told about it by colleagues back at the police station. One eyewitness, a neighbour watching from a window, claims it could not have happened. Doctors and other experts say there's no evidence of injuries consistent with this and marks on the back of PC Short's vest, which she and others claim could be a footprint, have been inconclusive. Whether or not this stamp took place matters to the inquiry partly because it's how PC Tomlinson justified what he did then. Here's what he told the inquiry. I honestly thought he'd killed her. Um, I was in the process of killing her. Um, so because I had my baton out, I used my baton to uh, deliver uh, a blow. Um, the only, I deemed that the only option I had was to use my baton because if I'd have run, I think I'd have probably ended up, my fear was if I'd fallen, I'm on the floor as well, and the floor's not a safe place to be. Um, when you're dealing with something like that, you, you know, you can't run away. It's then that PC Walker, who is 25 stone, shoulder charges him, knocking him to the ground, where he then restrains him with PCs Tomlinson and PC Payton. So he's now on the ground. PC Short has been hit to the head and stomped, according to police radio transmissions. An ambulance is requested for her. And what about Sheku? This is a man who is behaving erratically, who appears to be intoxicated and possibly in mental health crisis, who has now been hit to the head with a police baton. Do they call him an ambulance? No, there's no call for an ambulance for him yet. PC Alan Smith and PC Kayleigh Good have arrived. PC Smith joins the restraint while PC Good checks on PC Short. And then two other officers, PC James McDonough and PC Daniel Gibson, also arrive. So there are up to six officers restraining him at any one time. Some have told the inquiry that he's prone. That means on his front and recognised to be a dangerous position to be restrained in. It can impact on people's ability to breathe. Others insist he's never fully on his front. He's handcuffed with his hands in front of him, leg restraints applied and rolled on his side. It's only then that officers realise he's no longer conscious. Control fallen, bravo. Go ahead. Roger, this male and officer appears to be unconscious, breathing, not responsive. The ambulance for him. Sheku has been restrained on the ground for just over three and a half minutes when he falls unconscious. But then, 
Four minutes and 23 seconds later, while they're still waiting for the ambulance, he stops breathing. Control, can we get a move on the ambulance? Just a few minutes now, not breathing. CPR is commencing over. It's starting to rain and Sheku is wearing just a t-shirt and jeans. PCs Peyton and Walker start to perform chest compressions, taking turns. The ambulance arrives at 7.33am and he's taken to hospital. The kitchen knife he was reportedly holding before police arrived is recovered on the grass nearby. The officers return to the station and are asked to wait in the canteen, where they will be together all day and into the evening. On the advice of the Scottish Police Federation, they will not give statements for four weeks. In the hospital, staff are focused on saving Sheikha's life. But at 9.04am, he is declared dead. By this time, Zahid has been in touch with Colette. She's been home and found the kitchen in disarray, called police, reported him missing, and they've been to her door. And they didn't tell her he was in hospital. As he was dying, none of his family or friends knew what had happened. It's less than two hours since the first 999 calls were received. Could this have played out differently? Would it have made a difference if Sheku was white? What were the officers' options on that fateful morning? That's what the inquiry has been considering. We'll look at what the experts had to say about racism, unconscious bias, police attitudes and much more in the next episode of Sheku Bio, The Inquiry. Find all three episodes of Sheku Bio, The Inquiry, presented by me, Karen Goodwin. And me, Tamiwa Fullerin Shaw, at theferret.scot or wherever you get your podcasts. The Ferret is an investigative co-op run by and for its members. We believe good journalism changes things. To make this podcast, we've spent hours listening to all the evidence so we can summarise it for you, our listeners. And we need your support to do more. Join us at theferret.scot forward slash subscribe and get three months free with the code PODCASTOFFER. This podcast was written and produced by Karen Goodwin, researched by Tamiwa Fullerin-Shaw, recording, editing and sound design by Helena Ruthai, original music by Alan Bryden. <laughs>